I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Janet Walker Ford. Janet is Senior Vice President and National Transit and Rail Leader for WSP USA, a leading engineering, environment, and professional services consultancy. In this role, she's responsible for leading and growing the firm's business in the national transit and rail markets and establishing strategies to position WSP for major advisory, planning, design, program management, alternative delivery, and construction management assignments. Both in this role and her prior role, an incredible experience that Janet brings in this space throughout public and private sector, various modalities of transportation to hitting about all, all the all the major ways in which you can move goods and people. She, she's a true expert here in what goes into actually deploying systems that work. And so so we talk about transportation, public transit, rail, some of these specific applications in depth and try to uncover some of the things that uh, might, might not be obvious from the outside. We also spend a good chunk of this conversation talking about equity. And there's a surface level understanding, right? So when you think about what equitable transportation looks like, yeah, maybe you have some initial thoughts, but it goes so much deeper than what might be obvious from from the eye. And you you think about equitable in terms of the people we're serving, the people who are actually utilizing transportation, the people around, some of the downstream effects that we have based on the decisions that we're making in this space and we talk about some of the past decisions and where where that's left us now as well as some forward looking some of the things that we're facing now some of the ways in which we can be intelligent about the way we're approaching the rollout of new transportation and new technology and how we can set ourselves up for an equitable future so awesome discussion here i learned a ton left me with thinking about more and more and ways in which we can be more intentional going forward. So I hope you enjoy this. I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Please enjoy this conversation with Janet Walker Ford. Today I'm joined by Janet Walker Ford. Janet, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Brandon. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think this is uh, where we're going to get into some topics here that I've 
touched on on the podcast, but haven't gotten as deep as I would have liked. And I'm really looking forward to, to learning from you in, a, in several areas. So with that being said, could, could you please kick us off, uh, introduce a bit about your, your yourself, um, what you've been working on and what you're doing now? Sure. I, I'd, be, I'd be thrilled to. Again, thanks for having me. I'm Janet Walker Ford, as you mentioned, and I lead the national business practice for the, uh, or the national practice for the transit and rail business for WSP USA. And, you know, WSP is a global engineering uh, and infrastructure firm that works across um, a number of market sectors, a number of uh, business lines, water, um, uh, transportation, uh, among the few. And uh, I, I have responsibility for running our inner city passenger rail, um, delivery of our freight projects, as well as public transit um, projects. Awesome. And can we dive a little deeper? So global engineering and infrastructure firm. So what, yes. what does it look like, the engagements when you're working? Like, who, who are you working with and what does it look like? Uh, oh, yeah, that's with? that's a great question. And, and I and I should have said, and we have about 66,000 strong and growing. Uh, we're oh. based in Montreal, uh, Canada, and uh, the U.S. business um, obviously uh, is is the part of the business that I'm uh, that I'm involved with. Um, my clients include uh, the public transit agencies, um, as well as uh, transportation agencies. Um, if I think about the passenger rail, intercity rail, it would be like an Amtrak, um, for example. In terms of freight, you know, it's the Class One railroads where we have we deliver projects. Uh, as well as design and planning for those projects. So we're in the space with the top medium and small agencies that operate bus and train systems all over the country. And with that, that, I guess I should say, what does that mean when you say engineering? Mm -hmm. That's the design, planning, delivery, program management um, of those projects. And we're involved with alternative delivery um, of them as well. And this is... uh... I'm sure it's a somewhat foolish question by that. So I, I come from, you know, engineering background, really the, the vehicle development side, right? So yeah. engineering services company, and then now I'm on contract manufacturing, where we're building these vehicles that are yes. setting up the, the future yes. mobility ecosystem. I don't fully understand kind of the infrastructure. Like, yes, obviously I understand there's, there's buses, there's trains, there's infrastructure yes. that moves us around, but I, I feel like I don't have a full appreciation for what goes into actually successfully deploying and, and executing on these types of projects. I know this is a super high level question, but is there anything someone like me who doesn't really know understand kind of behind behind the scenes of what goes into uh, developing and, and executing on one of these projects? Anything sure. you can say about uh, what what that actually looks like? Because it sounds like your experience has kind of been on the OEM side, the vehicle, vehicle manufacturing side. We mm-hmm. involve with our clients then on the side because we're not in that space, right? We don't, we don't build, you know, we, we don't, we don't do the manufacturing of trains and buses, but we do work with our clients though, as they determine what their needs are, like we're doing right now as it relates to electric buses. So we may be helpful with them identifying their requirements for electrifying their fleet, their fleet and facilities. Um, mm-hmm. So as they move forward. And so that would be the space that we work in. The other item is, you know, we're a big planning company. Our expertise expertise is in planning and environmental. So the first stages of any project is typically that segment. So we've got folks that are involved with planning and then obviously um, people that are involved in expertise in grants. So applying for grants so they can go after those capital funds, funding to do those capital projects, and then assigning the program team, whether that's the program management, 
owners repped, um, systems, uh, systems, systems engineering, systems integration, um, the, the full facet of what it would take to actually deliver the project once it gets awarded as a contract. Um, you know, though my space is in transit and rail, my colleagues would be in air, in, air, in airports. And so mm-hmm. they would be helping with the, you know, design construction of a new runway is another example. What are, what are some of the key trends you're seeing? So if, if we zoom out, the types of things I tend to cover on the podcast here across the mobility ecosystem, you have electrifications, okay. huge trend of all sort, oh, yeah. hydrogen, you have automation, you have connectivity. Um, these are some of like the, the underlying trends within the, the segments where you're playing, where, where are the things that are most pressing right now or the, the biggest trends that are coming to the surface that you're working on? You know, and not only is the biggest trends, I think I would probably say it's also proved to me the most exciting thing that's going on in the industry as well as the trends. Um, I I love saying uh, that BRT is, uh, you know, it's kind of making, it's bringing sexy back as a term I use in the words of the great uh, poet Justin Timberlake. But what I mean by that is bus rapid transit as a trend worldwide, mm-hmm. it's not new. You know, it's that, that concept has been around for quite some time, but what we're seeing Seeing is another look at BRT uh, and then the current technology by every size agency, whether it be New York from a large firm or LA Metro to a medium or to a small firm in ways of in a, in ways of meeting needs for mobility for their customers in a shorter timeline. Um, many folks are looking at rail and rail alternatives. Um, mm-hmm. You know, heavy rail that investment and the timeline for that is pretty significant. Light rail is another option and alternative. BRT has been a great solution for agencies that need to provide connectivity and mobility in a a faster timeline and with a different budget while still having an option to go to light rail or to go to heavy rail or or to go to autonomous vehicles at another point in time. So one of the trends, again, that I'm excited about and that is happening worldwide is more BRT systems and the sleekness of those buses and the efficiency of those buses, particularly when they operate in a dedicated lane and they have signal prioritization. That is really a game changer as it relates to the time it takes for a commute. And sometimes you're even seeing in instances where BRTs are moving faster than rail in terms of connections and that sort of thing. So it is um, it is absolutely, um, you know, I think a, a trend of, of, of our generation, you know, of our industry. The other is what you hit on a few minutes ago, and that is around electrification. And that's happening going to, and, it, and whether we call it electrification or we just simply say zero emission or low emission, low emission, reducing our carbon footprint. Um, And and I I hate to even call it a trend, but it's a hot um, initiative because Mm -hmm. of the priority that the administration has placed, obviously, um, in this space, but also many states have mandates as we speak now with uh, with getting to uh, zero to low and em- no emission, zero emission. California and Seattle, um, Washington are, are right at the top. Washington and California are right at the top in some of the most aggressive schedules being 2030 and 2035 to get there. So that what does that mean? That means you have to have vehicles um, that can meet the demand 
demand um, of the, of, you know, of, of, of the, of the community. And so getting the vehicles that are affordable, you know, you know that don't create an equity with that mm-hmm. mandate will be really important. So discussions around um, uh, vehicle uh, availability, um, buses as well, right? All of that from the, whether it's, it's small, medium or heavy duty, um, the conversation around uh, the availability of the vehicles as well as the infrastructure and that's the electrification and the grid um, Mm -hmm. is really what the conversations are right now and the fact that everyone really needs to come to the table across all modes to come up with a solution for this as well as the utility companies right Mm -hmm. so those are those are two at the top of you know of course with the thomas beagles as well that we talked about earlier yeah, thank you. I think that's such a sage for there's a lot a lot of things I want to dig into deeper within within these topics. So back to this. So you mentioned BRP bus rapid or bus rapid transit. Uh, uh-huh. I this is an area where I struggle because this isn't the, the space I'm in. I struggle even to put a, a kind of concise question here. But one of the one of the things I'd like to get your thoughts on, like the the role of public transportation, and uh, I, I think about this from a, a f- effectiveness and then also a sustainability piece, like. So if you can get a bus that's driving around 30, 40 people, whatever it is, like a, that's that's a much more effective solution than everyone being in their own personal cars sure. and moving on, on the same roads. And the public transportation is so good that it's not just um, that it's yeah not, not only the people who are enforced into the system, which obviously, obviously it needs to serve those people as well. But hopefully the system is so effective that, you know, it's, it's as good or more effective than the public or the, the personal private use vehicles. Um, like I said, I, I'm I'm sure I have a very underdeveloped opinion of of what this actually should look like or how it looks. So, can you speak around this topic of like what what is the role of public transit within within a city? What and where where are the gaps currently in the U.S. and how, and how are we working to kind of close those gaps? Hmm, boy, that's a it's a really good question. It's a loaded yeah. question. I you know I I believe the role of public transit is to is to transport. Uh, citizens, people, right? Mobility, um, to provide mobility and accessibility, um, whether it be to school, whether it's to healthcare, um, whether it's to jobs. And to do that, then you've got to be able to provide the right service at the right time to meet the needs, you know, given the constraints with funding, budgeting, that sort of thing. So I see that we are in an environment, we all see this, that is more congested than probably ever in our lifetime. And the congestion congestion is a problem, not just from the hours spent, whether it's in uh, on public transit or in, public, or in your privately owned vehicle, but it's also the impact to, uh, that's creating in, in the air, right, with pollutants and greenhouse mm-hmm. emissions. So I believe the role is to continue to provide um, uh, options that are uh, with equity, um, to the public for transit as and looking at other options continuously and, and you're alluding to this as it relates to one size doesn't fit all. So public transit is very much looking at options that maybe are a bit different than they were 30 years ago or 40 years ago where you maybe you did have that 40 foot bus that was the option to move people around. We're now looking at microtransit, fixed route, as well as on-demand services, right? And many agencies, many cities have those options now. I mean, one item that that the agencies are required to do is to provide ADA services, paratransit services, that is mandated. But if they can take a look at combining that fixed, you know, that paratransit 
service that's required and, and bring that in using microtransit, uh, micro, uh, that solves the need of moving people around. Maybe you're getting people that require door-to-door service to a rail station when possible, and they can use a mix of modes. So I think, I think mm-hmm. that, that the responsibility is to look creatively at how people move today and provide the appropriate options. You know, many have done a route optimization studies and many agencies have, and that's saying, let's take a look at the way that we maybe we designed our system um, 30, 40 years ago, as I mentioned, and how do people move today? They move very differently. So instead of that 40-foot bus, let's do something a little differently. You know, we're even talking about using autonomous vehicles in some places where we, you know, how do you create that in terms of your mode? So it's a multi-mode look-see at public transit that involves I think, an integration with other modes. So, you know, we talk about a trend, another trend, and it is is looking at innovation to see how we can provide from a customer-focused perspective more information about the types of uh, uh, what are the types of transportation options that may be available and how do you do that using technology? So within WSP, mm-hmm. we have something called the Mobility Marketplace um, where we really work with our customers to help identify using their existing systems, existing apps, how one, how might I get from point A to point B? Does it involve if I need to get to the office or to the healthcare? Does it involve a segment of walking? Is some of it include uh, TNCs, whether it's the Uber or the Lyft? Um, does it involve a bus, a train, or, you know, drive, drive to a park and ride system? So having that type of information on the ready in a single app is really what we're talking about that I believe, getting back to your question, is a responsibility in terms of a stakeholder in that picture of public transit is ensuring those available options are known how much it would cost and how long it would take me to get there, I believe would be a very important and innovative step to ensuring that we've got the type of mobility and accessibility across um, a community or you know, our city. Yeah, and these, these topics of uh, equity and accessibility, this we, we, we're probably going to spend a good amount of time here because there's so many different facets of what goes into this, right? So I think you've already alluded a couple of times of what, what okay, what is Maybe uh, I won't make uh, I won't make judgments or conclusions yet, but maybe I'll give you open floor. So, what what does equity actually look like in this in this situation? So, when when we're saying yes, we want to have equitable transportation solutions. Yes. What yes. What, are, what are we talking about? Well, you know, I and I couldn't wait. I'm glad you asked this question. I I love talking about this. You know, at, at WSP, we define equity as leveling the playing field with narratives, you know, processes and actions that create benefits that specifically benefit or create benefit for historically marginalized and underserved people that will improve their current and what we believe generational quality of life. And listen, it's not something that you just fall into. It has to be intentional, intentionally built into every step of the process. We talked a little bit earlier about what do we mean when we say outside of an OEM and we're talking about the engineering work that we do at, at WSP, for example. Equity has to be built into the very beginning of the, the planning stages, not in the engineering process. And from development to delivery, you have to take a look at how you're designing those systems. And I think a lot about even artificial intelligence and autonomous vehicles, all of that before you actually get the vehicle um, that you 
you were involved with on the road, what goes into the process of thinking about how you would, you know, how you would develop that that vehicle and it would be used, let alone the infrastructure that it would run in. This means, again, starting with a diverse team who can bring a variety of perspectives to a project and engaging the impacted community in the conversation so that we better understand how they would move and what their needs mm -hmm. are, at, right? And so that we don't create an inequity unintentionally. We're doing this, you know, by including others in, in the work that we do with working with minority and women-owned businesses when, for, uh, and construction companies, for example, so that we can ensure that we have have a better understanding of what the needs of the community are and we're advising our clients as well and one of the things i'm reading between the lines here and i'd, I'd appreciate your, your thoughts on this but i think and, and this is a general theme as well that i've, I've re thought about from the industry right so there, there was some time where it was we thought about you know technology innovation and developing the vehicles that or the the products that are going to make this this huge change yeah. and We've developed some great technology. Now it's a question of how you actually deploy this stuff. And and it's not as simple as, hey, giving a shuttle and putting it in, on a route and saying, hey, this community now has access to the sh shuttle. Like that that doesn't solve the question, right? You need to have a solutions-oriented approach. And I think you you touched on this at the beginning of like thinking about, okay, what is what are these boundary conditions? How are we actually defining what, what's this problem we're trying to trying to solve? And then is there a way that we can weave together technology and different solutions with the input of the community to actually put something in place that makes the impact we're trying to make, not just checks the box and set box and says, Hey, this community now has access, access to technology or to technology. So what, what are your thoughts? What, is that somewhat aligned with how you think about this or it, it, what are your thoughts? It does, it does, it does. And, and, and you're, you're also underscoring the fact that because we keep talking about equity. Well, equity is really a defining economic issue of this generation. Uh, accessible, affordable transportation. It's just plainly said critical to the, to the, you know, to the lives that we lead. I, I love, um, a, a statement that Secretary Pete makes um, often uh, in his reconnecting communities uh, discussion. And, and, and he says, good transportation policy connects everyone to where they need to go efficiently, affordably, and safely. So if you think about that in comparison to the question uh, that you just asked, what so, so what do we mean beyond just delivering projects that, you know, at the end, we've said we've included, you know, you know, businesses, small business owners, and that sort of thing. That's not enough. That's 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 because that's not enough. What we have to do is mm -hmm. take steps to ensure that we have policies in place and that projects that 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 protect and enhance equity can help communities and decision makers understand how to move towards more equitable outcomes that really prevent those past mistakes where we were doing, you know, delivering the new roadway or putting in the new bus line. We have to really be thinking about policies that take a look at how are we deciding that one community gets certain types of innovation and transportation and the other one does not, you know, is one side getting a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a certain type of um, why, why is why is BRT on one in one community and why are you getting light rail or heavy rail in the other is like an example. And there are reasons around that. But having to step through density questions, um, ridership numbers and that sort of thing. These are all policies and decision making that you need to do up front. And it also has to do with funding. So ensuring that we are designing, uh, making decisions with that in mind as we reconnect communities, not recreating uh, inequities that we've done in the past 
class is really important so that the end people have greater uh, options for mobility and transportation. And it starts way before you um, you actually uh, uh, deliver the project, right? Yeah, and I'd be curious actually. So you mentioned not recreating inequities from from the past. I'd be curious if you, if you can provide a few examples here because this is a blind spot. I'm sure I'm sure other I'm sure I I have and I certainly had. So for example, like I, I recently heard or at some time heard, you know, there's a difference between the west and the east side of the train tracks, and and this and right and this is from coal powered trains over time going north and south on train track. The wind across the U.S. blows west from the west to the east, meaning the coal deposit is put on the east side of those train tracks. So the, the quality of the air and the, and all the, it, it's much worse. And it, you can look, and if you, if you look for it, you can see that the neighborhoods that have been built in different cities, like there is a marked difference between where those train tracks come in and how the, the infrastructure ended up being built up over time. Can, can you point to any other examples of what, what, maybe these were intended often i've assumed they weren't intended but like where, where are there inequities from the past that have um, come up and that are maybe still in place oh there are so many we probably wouldn't have time to get through them all the list is so very long but let me try to give some examples particularly where wsp is working with our clients to mm -hmm. um you know to kind of correct or you know address some of those inequities but they happened to that very example um, when there were not policies in place, like we talked about a few minutes ago, um, that uh, that really evaluated where we were making decisions about where um, a new roadway would go that would disconnect a community or bridge. So roads, highways, bridges have been historically put in communities prior to there being policies in place that did disconnect them. It typically happened in poor and disadvantaged communities and brown and black communities. Um, and, you know, even with the airports, you've heard the discussion that the word NIMBY, not my backyard, you know, so mm -hmm. um, there is certainly we've got protections in place that that doesn't happen, but we've, we have those in any city, USA, where you can point to that. In Miami, there's a place, uh, there's a, a, an area called Overtown, um, where the I-395 bridge um, was put in that disconnected that community. And there's a project that's in place today that is reconnecting the community, but it was once a thriving community. Once that highway went through, suddenly you no longer had, you know, people weren't able to cross over in the way that they were before. And so you no longer had the accessibility to friends, but also to whether it was to, uh, you know, whether it was to healthcare or whether it was to education or jobs mm -hmm. that made an impact. Just recently, um, there was a project that uh, that was a BRT project that was implemented in Birmingham. It's called the Birmingham Express Bus Rapid Transit Project that WSP did have an opportunity to play a role in supporting the client. And that provided access to over 70,000 jobs. And it's not only just providing accessibility, it's saving people time and money, whether they're taking the bus or whether they're driving with that project because there's less congestion on the roadway, right? Because you're getting, people are able to get out of their vehicles instead of that one passenger kind of trip and they've got other options. And so that means, and that is why, you know, that's a multifaceted approach to uh, reducing congestion on the roadway is providing more public transit. And so in that project, they uh, this is around um, I-65 in, in Birmingham. And the way that it was constructed,
constructed. It's in the, it, you know, it is providing an opportunity for Birmingham to um, go through the heart of cities that displace Black neighborhoods and created physical barriers and dead uh, dead zones just so that people were kept apart. This reconnects um, people's ability to move around in mobility as a result of having this BRT system go through. And it's getting people to uh, to locations they need to go to. Another BRT project that, um, that I'd like to reference, and I just left San Antonio, uh, and it's called North, South, East, West. They're currently working on a, a bus rapid transit system that will uh, cover the North, South line. And then uh, most recently, they started advancing the East, West. And what's, and what's fascinating about both of these for San Antonio is it also has a common theme of reconnecting communities that have been devastated in the past because of decisions made around infrastructure. Um, and so we're excited to be working as part of that. But uh, there are bridge projects, there are, you know, many others, but, you know, those mm -hmm. that come to mind immediately for me would have to do with how do we as public transit side reconnect a community by providing a transit option that was not in place before or Brandon where um, in order to get to work, one might have to take three or four connections on a bus, right? Their timeline mm -hmm. for commuting might have been an hour and a half, two hours, just because they had, to, let's say that the headway between buses is an hour, which is unacceptable. You suddenly now have a more optimized bus network and bus system that has an increased frequency because you've got the right size for the need. No longer that 40-foot bus that has to serve an area that doesn't need that. You can do microtransit or another option. Um, but you, So you're able to increase the frequency and the headways of public transit as a result of looking at, um, again, BRT that gets people moving. They don't have to have as many connections, and it reduces the number of, of, the number of hours they spend waiting. And then for those that do drive, if you get more people off the roadway, reduces congestion, and we can get people to their destinations faster. You know, right? Because you want to yeah, incentivize like... people to do to mm -hmm. use public transit by making it reliable, affordable, and and consistent. Yeah, it seems seems like I mean for for rolling out like a, a bus rapid transit system, it seems like. Uh the difference between doing that well and not doing it well is a huge impact on whether that system actually is going to make a difference. Right. I, I, my, my only real experience with a, a well done bus um, system was at in university of Michigan, Ann Arbor. Like I, I was not close to my engineering classes and they had, you know, bus system that operated and you knew it was five, maybe eight minutes you're waiting for a bus and everything that's on your phone. You can see exactly like it was, Really, and not that that's the perfect solution for for everyone, but like outside of that, I, I if there isn't that reliability and that that confidence that you're going to be able to get to a certain place in a given time, like it, it seems like that makes such a big difference on whether that that's um, that solution is actually going to do what it um, what what it intends to do. Yeah, that that's right, and that's why you know your question a little earlier too. You talked about technology to me, knitting it all together, not just the vehicle and not just technology, but having the information. So that then becomes the data-driven part of it, you know, so that you can have yeah. the trust and confidence. Um, and, and so that means you, me as a college student, you as a college student, just like you gave that example, you know, it's been difficult to really understand what all those options might be. And how do I really get from A to B, first mile, last mile, which is a gap in many cities and agencies. And maybe I 
I would take public transit more if I if I mm-hmm. could get first mile, last mile. And so now we've got technology that does exactly what you said. Um, there's an app for that. There's an app that gives you real-time journey information, trip planning information, so that you can make the right decisions. And we're also getting in its in its dynamic. So that if there is a uh there is an incident or an issue that affects the time, it's real time, and you can decide, okay, well, as a result of that. Uh, event, maybe I stay home for an hour and then decide to get either if I'm driving or the, you know to the public transit agency if you need to drive to the uh, to the parking lot so you can ride transit or walk. Whatever you need to do, you'll have more information that informs your decision making about uh, cost, timing, and affordability. And that is really, I think, the game changer for us at this time. And the more that we can mix modes, integrate what's going on on the highways, so that's talking with roadways, highways, with transit, and even look with freight, because freight also uses the infrastructure in the roadways. So having the information, I think, readily available is really critical. And a couple of examples that come to mind with that is, if you'll recall the, um, the bridge fire that happened in Atlanta, gosh, four or five years ago that what it shut down was a major uh, artery I-85 just outside downtown Atlanta. And one area of any city, but certainly in Atlanta, can really shut down the rest of the city because people are just trying to figure out how to move around it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had technology that gave you uh, an awareness of that before you got in the middle of it, before you left the house, it might affect this your decision-making with travel. So if we can have... Um, incident response systems that are integrated with public transit, that would be very, very helpful. We tend to wait uh, in our country until there's an Olympics or the you know event. So if there's an Olympics like with Atlanta and you know yeah. LA is getting or you host the Super right? Bowl or the Final Four or whatever. Right. And Super Bowl, we're all and there's that collaboration and there's that sharing of data across all modes because we've got to move people around. And then as soon as the mm-hmm. Super Bowl's gone and the Olympics are gone, people go back to the behavior that they had before. And when there's a when there's an incident, you know, we really don't have a, a system that is connected across all modes that helps us manage that congestion. So you know I think that that will be a, extremely important as well. So you've already somewhat hinted on this, but I'd be curious to dig a little deeper. So what do you think, I mean, thinking about infrastructure, right? So that almost every city in the, in the U.S. is, is market, like I, I think of uh, like Amsterdam as a city that's very different on a, on a accessibility, um, the ability to you know get on a bike and go to a train and that's optimized for there's infrastructure that's in place to help people move around without relying on personal use car. We Almost every U.S. city is, is is very far from what look that looks like, and whether that's even the end goal or or not. But well, how how do you think about we have current infrastructure which is then built about around private use vehicles for the, for the most part, probably not the optimal infrastructure to to have in place, but it's there. How, how do you think about now from where we are getting to an improved state? With yeah, sure, it would be ideal if we had a grid with all with trains connecting all the major cities and and perfect kind of public transportation. But that's if it comes is a very long way away. So how, how do you think about making impact now while also working towards kind of a an end goal that's even better than what we're working on now? That's a really, really good question. Of course, you've been asking great questions. And I've um, been taking, we've been looking uh as well at Amsterdam and um, you know, the the other uh, innovations and strategies that are done outside of the U.S., including, you know, um, Sweden, uh, all of that. And they are, you know, to me, if I think about smart cities, if you go back and that smart cities challenge and that smart cities mm-hmm. challenge 
years and years ago, was really about looking holistically at a city and what the needs are from a transportation, healthcare, um, you know, uh, you know, mobility, education perspective. And it was smart, uh, a smart city. What makes a city smart? What makes a country smart? And so now you've seen the peeling off of that in the years that have led up, and which is also kind of what I see in, in, in your example with Amsterdam. And that's, you know, that's the mobility as a service model. That is, and, and I think that's exactly where it, we call it the mobility marketplace in terms of the way we're coming at it from WSP. Mm-hmm. But it's looking at that, you know, it's not a food chain, but that, you know, that, that transportation uh, marketplace where you've got a bicycle in there. You got the the scooter in there. You have all you know the car, the you know the bus, um, the freight, and and you really have to and that helps you understand what's creating congestion on the roadway, which I think is the only way we solve this problem is to understand what creates it, and then work to incentivize behaviors. Um, for people to travel differently. And that's what they've done outside the country. A little bit easier because it's a bit smaller space to your point, but they've mm-hmm. used innovation and technology and information and a line of sight information to do that. And it gets to what I was saying before. If I know what all those factors are in one, and, I, and I'd like to say in one place and in, in, in an app, I can make a decision about when to travel, um, whether to, if I've gone to the football game and I know that if I leave now or if I wait an hour um, because I've been incentivized to go to the local restaurant and have a glass of wine, that is all tied into my decision-making. Having that all together integrated readily when I need it in a simple way, instead of me going to multiple apps, I think is really critical. But that, you know, though it sounds like we're just talking about an app, what we're talking about is sharing information across modes and across the infrastructure mm-hmm. that is really more about the, uh, the, the the experience and the needs of the customer. I think that's the way that we have to move forward. And we can do that now to your point. We're starting to do that. You are seeing information and data being shared between public transit and the uh, the TNCs. Um, and so and that's part of what you need, right? Do I take Uber to the rail station or to the bus stop or how do I get to that last mile, first mile? Those that that awareness and understanding of my available options incentivize me or incentivize you to take public transit, understanding what those needs are. Even late at night during COVID, you see someone like WMATA, the uh, Washington Metro, making decisions about how to ensure that those third uh, shift workers could get home. You didn't have enough people to run the 40 foot bus or the train to remain mm-hmm. operational. What was the most co- what was more cost effective? And what we saw happen during the COVID, uh, during COVID, is more and more agencies rolled out um, uh, um, the, the type of innovative solutions. They work with the TNCs, Ubers and Lyfts, and others to provide rides for those short third shift workers, those first responders. And so that's just some examples of what we can do now by understanding what the travel patterns are with data that I think are helpful mm-hmm. and and really kind of you know kind of uh, it, it's our way of getting to some solutions that you've seen outside the United. United States. So, you know, I, I yeah. think we have to fundamentally change the way that we look at transportation and ensure that it's more customer centric and more equitable when we're making those decisions. Yeah. And it also seems like there's a, an important uh, collaboration piece here, obviously. And I mean, one of the, these are a lot of different stakeholders and people with their own incentives who have to come together and, and realize, you know, that by sharing this information with each other, by working together, they're going to provide a better solution that's going to help everyone, including themselves, probably on the back end with with improved uh, service and profitability and all, all that type of stuff. 
You're, you're, you're right. And, and, and part of, you know, an important element, and I, you know, it's kind of feel like this is also an, you know, a, an important point to make. It's like, why don't we already have all the things that you and I are talking about now? It seems the technology is mm-hmm. available. Um, you know, and we've got the infrastructure, we've got the modes. Well, we haven't had the incentives for collaboration and consensus across the types of transportation, whether it be, you know, public and private sector, um, whether it be, mm-hmm. you know, the DOTs and with transit and with freight. And, you know, everyone cooperates in a different kind of vantage point is the way we've just grown up in this industry. So I believe incentivizing that data sharing and collaboration is going to be key in policies, right? That at the federal, state and local level, those policies, not mandates, but incentives to, and I think you drive incentives through funding, is what we will need to really, you know, maybe to kind of really put a bow on your question, advance um, the type of uh, mobility and accessibility that we're talking about. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think a subset maybe of this this topic or something that we haven't touched on that I wanted to get your thoughts on, um, electrification infrastructure and so say EV charging infrastructure, right? How the, the equity piece here is is really, really interesting and, and challenging, I think, right? Of, okay, we have a charging network that's being deployed around around the country. There are certain places where electric vehicles are today, and there are in certain cases where there aren't as much, and we probably would like to, over time, have, have and, and it's, it's often, right, that it's wealthy communities for the most part that can afford vehicles that, so to some extent that the companies deploying the EV charging infrastructure are incentivized to put them in the places where they're actually going to get utilized so they can make money. At the same time, by doing that, you're just perpetuating the cycle where it's going to make it increasingly more challenge, challenging for the underserved community who, you know, eventually as EV prices come down, they can afford them, but now there's no infrastructure unless we invest in it now. How do you think about this general topic, which there's a ton, ton there? Oh, it's you. You are spot on. Would be my if my had to simply answer your question. Um, and as we are talking, as we mentioned earlier about, you know, is we're you know we're, we're addressing where there are problems that were created in the past inequities. We've got to fix, go back and fix those issues. But as we're looking forward, we have to be intentional not to create another inequity. And that's exactly what mm-hmm. you just described by creating the by creating the mandates and by going uh, to, you know, kind of you know, all electric vehicles in, in a particular state if their affordability isn't there. So it's really important that um, we're looking at, um, and we're doing that at WSP and many of the associations that we work with, um, and looking at those policies that we're developing right now to ensure that that doesn't happen. One of the, the items that's important is as you're thinking about the manufacturers and the type of electric vehicles that are available today. Those are pretty much the high ends of electric vehicles for, mm-hmm. for most part and maybe out of reach for others. So there's discussions around ensuring that you've got the range of um, vehicles available with the affordability piece in mind is important. Infrastructure wise, not everyone has a home in a garage where they're going to be able to charge their vehicles, mm-hmm. right? And so from a capacity perspective, how do you ensure that there is the grid 
fit in place so you don't have range anxiety, as we call it, um, once one does decide to make that purchase. And that's the same thing on a public transit system with the bus. You know, agencies want to make sure if we buy and procure, and that's a long cycle, I've got a facility. And hey, if my system is one of those that goes out all day and I go out 50 miles, we want to be able to get that bus back. So, Mm -hmm. you know, ensuring that, and that would be a community question as well, not just the driver of a vehicle. So in communities, we've got to ensure that going all electric on a vehicle, going back to that, that that has, they have the ability, you have electric buses because that infrastructure is in place. And the, with, the, with the vehicle perspective, though, you know, public transit is, is my incentive. Um, we've got to make sure that as we're looking at the whole ecosystem, that that um, the charging facilities, the grid is there for all vehicles that um, that need to access it. And it is and it is a problem. It is a, it's a concern. Now, the other thing about the importance, though, of pushing towards a zero emission and why we've got the mandates in, pl- in place is we know that greenhouse emissions typically have um, a a, a higher rate of impact in those same disadvantaged communities we're talking about, mm-hmm. the, you know, the poor communities, the brown and black communities. And that's often created by refrigerated trucking, right? So it's not just, you know, carving. This, this is in every facet that you wouldn't think about. So where that idling might happen, let's say from a refrigerated heavy-duty vehicle in a community, mm-hmm. that tends to, studies shows, um, children in those uh, neighborhoods, for example, may have higher asthma rates. Mm-hmm. Health issues are more prominent in, in areas and communities where that's the case. So, you know, the, you know, the inequity, the inequities could be solved there by ensuring that, yeah, you're, you're using, you know, a different type of low emission, no emission, hydrogen fuel cell, battery electric um, type of vehicle, even CNG really really important, um, but uh, you know I, I, it, it is it is a valid question and something that we've got to be very serious with with uh, solving. Yeah, and I think it also touches potentially on one one of the interesting conclusions that I've come to is, is yes, so there probably is some state where we have a full electric and or hydrogen transportation ecosystem, but I, I think we're a long long way out from there, especially given how how many internal combustion engines we're selling right now. So I, I think this, this somewhat under, underscores the fact that we need to in, continue to improve the internal combustion engines now too. Cause I mean, right. If, if we can make those cleaner, which there are technologies out there that are making significant st- strides there, those are the vehicles that are going to be running for decades in some of these areas, potentially that um, we, we kind of have to do both in this, this area and yes, push towards electrification, but also improve what we currently have so that we're serving these areas. That's correct. You know, in a previous podcast that you had, that uh, was very fascinating because we talked about uh, there was discussion around school buses, and that's mm-hmm. an area that public transit is even looking at. Is the you know there's half a million I think or so school buses that are electric, and and they have led the way really in some ways with um, electrifying uh, their fleet. And so our client in LA, as they're looking at the Olympics for 2028, for example, they are you know they have they have a mandate to have no car zone, but also low to no emissions um, for during the Olympic Games. So how do you achieve that? You got to be innovative, and you've got to you've got to ensure that um, you can still get the people around that are going commuters, as well as the folks that are going to the Olympic Games. But you look at examples of other industries, right, and what they've done to meet that need, uh, and you really use collaboration. Yeah, that. Really, really interesting, Janet. Really, really, really appreciate the the thoughts. And I, I want to take a quick kind of detour here, and then we'll we'll wrap up and, and sure. revisit here. But um, so, so I, I'm always I'm always fascinated. So you you've done some really really interesting thing. You're doing fascinating work right now, right at the end of the crux of the these trends in the mobility sector. 
maybe a, a high level question here on the, on the personal side to start, but what, what goes into, what's it take to be successful in, the, in this role? Like what, if you look back at your career and how you've developed and, you know, you've, you've obviously gotten built a skill set that serves you very well in this space. Um, anything that you can look back at of like what during that development process, things that had, had a huge impact on you? You know, I think, um, you know, for me, you know, my, my background includes public and private sector experience. And one of, you know, and, and I, my, uh, my background is information technology. That's, that's really the core of, of what I bring to the table. And so with that is innovation and strategy. You know, I'm a recovering CIO, chief information officer, and that's the yeah. core of the way that I look at things. But I bring a strategy focus with that. And, and, and that's what's beneficial for me coming into public Transit, where I started my career in Atlanta at MARTA, the Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transit Authority. I think one of the most beneficial parts of my experience is working at a public agency. Mm-hmm. I had the, you know, the, the the opportunity, the privilege of understanding. You know, it wasn't just from an outside looking in. I understood every day the impact of having or not having public transit made on a community as we're making decisions about changes in routes or making decisions about adding routes or or vehicles or technology fair payment system, how people pay for their fares. Are they cash only customers as we were trying to go to all at that time, regional smart card technology so that you could pay, you know, just using, you know, at that point that was using a smart card. We're now using smartphones. We're using Mm -hmm. credit cards, contactless. So you think about how you don't create an inequity. We talked about it then. How do you not create an inequity with the way that people pay for just the way they ride public transit? Um, So that experience, um, for the five, six years that I was at MARTA very, very much shaped the way that I think about public transit and, and, and how important it is to transit dependent, as well as it is to people that just really need to be able to, in a timely, cost-effective way, move around. Um, so that experience was important. Mm-hmm. I, you know, over the course of my career, um, have uh, been on the public sector side, you know, in my role with WSP as the National Business Line Leader for Transit and Rail. Obviously, I think my experience overall has been been beneficial to getting me to this role. Um, but I also have experience with management consulting, you know, in, in some of my time, I'll, I'll call out in that sector with Buzell and Hamilton, where we really thought about problem solving, right, and more strategy from a management consultant perspe- consulting perspective. I think combined with that IT background and strategy, yeah. public sector, uh, and the various experience I've had along the way, even along airports, which I've done that too, it, because it, un, you're understanding communities and the impact yeah. on a positive uh, way that you can make in providing accessibility um, for communities of, of, of diverse communities. Yeah, it seems like this breadth of experience is invaluable in developing kind of the holistic approach that's required to solve such a complex issue that we're, we're talking about. And I, I guess I didn't say it maybe in the intro, I'll, I'll mention, but you, you also have the the advantage of, of chatting with a past podcast guest, uh, Nat, Nat Ford, who was on episode 26, your spouse, or maybe more so he has the advantage of having you at, at home as someone to uh, to reference when you need to put what, what, what he's doing at uh, JTA and uh, and all that. Like, super interesting here and how you, you guys are both approaching similar problems in different ways and having tremendous impact. 
Sure. And listen, I'm, and, and I, I'm a big fan of Nat Ford's as well. He, yeah, I learned a lot from him. He's doing some great things, um, forward looking things, innovative things at the JTA, as you know, firsthand around autonomous vehicles and uh, just, just fascinating. So I, I enjoy learning from him as well as others in the industry that are bold uh, in terms of making decisions and being the first and really, you know, kind of making sure that we're standing up for, you know, the, the general public, which is what we should mm-hmm. be doing with you which was your first question. And uh, in this industry, we're making sure that we are providing equitable transportation options. And I, I really enjoy you know, what I do uh, and really feel fortunate to be able to, to lead the team that I have. Awesome. Well, yeah, I th- thank you again. Re- really enjoyed the discussion. I've, I've learned learned a ton. Maybe the last question, I'll leave it leave it to you. So one, did, did we miss anything that you were really hoping to cover here or um, kind of e- either way? Is there anything that you're hoping someone listens to this episode takes away as a, yeah, so, something that they, they learned or something that they're thinking about after after hearing this? Well, I, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my role as the chair of the WTS International that's advancing women in transportation. Um, and since we've been talking about equities and inequities, I have to say I'm so very proud of the work that we're doing to ensure that we are um, we're providing opportunities um, to attract more women to the transportation industry, which uh, is, you know, though we're getting better, we're still underrepresented and underserved. Mm-hmm. So we work uh, internationally to ensure that uh, women are not only in the industry, but that we're also providing opportunities at every level of leadership, uh, including to the boardroom. And uh, I think that that's a really important part of our industry as well and delivering projects that have people that are diverse and we mentioned this before so we've got women we've got people of color that are part of design and developing and implementing projects that's really key um, to I think our success as uh, you know as an industry and a community yeah I think that's a that's a great place to leave it definitely meaningful work there so Thank you again, Janet. Definitely will be uh, following along rooting for, I mean, sometimes like your, your hands are in a lot of the, the biggest biggest projects, including the Olympics here uh, in, in a few years. So excited to watch and best of luck to you. Well, thank you very much, Brandon. I've enjoyed uh, uh, this conversation. And look, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Janet Walker Ford. So, a lot of things I take away from this, and and I, as I touched on in the intro, the the breadth of experience and expertise, just, just awesome to be able to pull on. But really, the, the the main thing that I walk away thinking about here is is what equity actually means, and how various decisions that are being made are either directly or indirectly having an outsized impact on impact on the. Um, the equity of our future transportation system. And we talked about a few examples, you know, past past decisions that seem that seem harmless enough, right? where, where you're putting various um, pieces of infrastructure. The the impact of these, especially to someone who hasn't been affected by this, like, like I mean, to be transparent, like myself, right? I, I haven't been in one of these uh, underserved communities and been negative impacted by infrastructure decisions that have been made and so it's easy to take for granted the fact that uh now we we're making these changes and having a big impact but we don't necessarily see that in our, our everyday life or at least a lot of us don't and so thinking about that and being intentional and realizing that the decisions we're making as a mobility community and the people who are driving the future of transportation 
it's it's critical as we're thinking about this to keep equity in mind and realize that yes on the obvious side we we need to directly serve communities that that don't have access to transportation solutions right now and then we also need to think downstream about how these decisions how for example avr av uh charging infrastructure like we talked about here how, how the placement of this and the way in which we're rolling out electric vehicles and even designing and developing electric vehicles how how is that going to have an impact on the equitability of future transit so really interesting discussion i'm, I'm awesome having jan on on the podcast i hope you i hope you learned something here um i mean hopefully you knew more about this than i did coming into it um but, but still hope, hope you enjoyed the discussion thank you for listening um, as always more to come next week thank you for listening to the future of mobility podcast brought to you by edison manufacturing and engineering if you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products and annual volumes of tens to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.